Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jesus, we just praise you tonight for the incredible privilege of being gathering together at your feet as sisters. And Holy Spirit, we worship you. And we invite you tonight to come, not as our guest, but as our host. And that you would take the word of God that we have before us. And you would speak to every single one of our hearts tonight so that we are forever different because we have met together with you and with one another. We thank you for the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you. You can take broken fragments of pottery and that you are the gold that recreates and puts us back together so that we have more value even to the heart of God and to the purposes of God than even in the beginning. Thank you, Father. And would you come and would you anoint your word and anoint our time together in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. It's such a joy to be with you all tonight. And it's kind of like a miracle. And I'm very grateful. Now, I'd like us to look now, if we'll start at Zechariah 1. And I'm going to read to you the first six verses. If you have your Bibles or your iPads, can you open them up and follow along? In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, um, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. You'll recognize that that's our memory verse for this week. And you'll recognize how many Lord of hosts are in that one verse? Three. And did you go through the whole book and count how many Lord of hosts here? We're talking about in Zechariah, oh, it's so exciting. Lord of hosts is like in Revelations when he says, I'm king of kings and Lord of lords. The whole book is about the person of Jesus. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. And it just gets gooder and gooder and gooder as we go through. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will return to me, I will return to you. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Don't be like your fathers for whom the former prophets to, uh, preach saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. Uh, but uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, but they did not hear and they did not heed. Your fathers, where are they now? And your prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to us, according to all our ways and according to our deeds, so, have, so he has dealt with us. 
I just want to pray one more time. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not worthy of opening the word, but you are. So just as you came to Cleophas and his friend, you broke open the word of life. Could you make the word alive today? And we would hear not only this spoken word and read the written word, but we would encounter the living word, Jesus, in your name, amen. In this first paragraph, you notice that in the eighth month of the second era of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And it's interesting, some time is more important than other time. And it's in the eighth month, which would be October, November, about of 520 BC. And you'll notice that Darius was the king because the Jews had not listened to God, had not heard the prophets, had not returned and not obeyed the generation before the current generation. They had been in captivity for 70 long years. Their consequences for sin and their consequences for your choices and my choices. And he says, so the word of the Lord came to Zechariah because we have a communicating God and we have a God who speaks and he can take an ordinary average day in the eighth month Darius is the king, the Medo-Persian king. And he could come to a prophet named Zechariah. And what does his name mean? It means the Lord remembers. And it's an amazing thing because the people felt that God had forgotten them. Have you ever felt like Jesus has forgotten you? And he doesn't quite see where you are, what's going through what you're going through, and you think, Jesus, pardon me, where are you again? Where are you? And the prophet that comes to the people of God, his name is Zechariah. The Lord remembers. But look who's, how he is identified. He's the son of Berechiah. His name means the Lord blesses. <laughs> and he's the son of Edo. The grandfather is Edo, the prophet, and his name means at this time an advance. So you could get saved, sanctified, and called almost in the first, just in the genealogy of Zechariah. Because what God is establishing here is the identity of Zechariah, and his identity came from his father and his father's family. And that is the message of Zechariah for you and me, that he is longing for us as a people that our identity would be in not just our earthly family and our earthly father's family, but our identity would be in our heavenly father's family. And that is what God is making available to us if we will receive and choose to receive it. And just the Jews of this day had an identity crisis. They had 70 years in captivity. They were a, a, a depressed people. They were a captured people under the Babylonians and then the Medes and Persians. Through the providence of God, after 70 years, he moved on in Isaiah 45 
and moved Cyrus, the king of Persia, to have them go back to Jerusalem and go back to Judah to try to establish the land of Israel once again and to rebuild the temple and reestablish the people of God. But they had an identity crisis. They no longer remembered who they were or who God was or what they had come to do, what God wanted them to do. And they had lost the purpose for, for just for what God for what God had created them. Ladies, that is exactly like our nation today. We have an identity crisis. We no longer know if we're male or female. We no longer know if we are Americans or not. The borders are open. Anybody can vote. We are an identity crisis. We have lost the distinctiveness of who we are. And God says, I, it is because we have left God as a nation. And just what happened in Jerusalem and just what happened among the Jews in 520 BC is beginning to happen in our, in our lifetime because we have turned our faces away and say, God, I will do it my way. The essence of sin is me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Jesus said, I would like to tell you how sweet and good I am. So if you would have the capacity and the longing and hunger in your soul to trust me, even with all of you. So he says, don't be like your fathers. They spent 70 years in the enemy's camp. I've got something better for you, if you will choose it. So he says, where are your fathers? They're gone. They made their choices, they're gone. The prophets who even spoke to them, the Ezekiels, the Daniels, the Jeremiahs, the Isaiahs, they're gone. But the thing that is eternal is the written and the spoken and the eternal word of God. And he said, don't be like your fathers. You have an opportunity to make another choice. So they read, they, so in verse six, so they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts, and that's the Lord of the battles, determined to do it to us according to our ways and according to our deeds. So he has dealt with us. There are consequences to our choices. And God wants to give us a new identity. And he wants to give us a new relationship with him. Now we begin the visions. And there are eight visions. Because what these visions tell us is about the second person of the Trinity, because the whole book is about the Messiah. And there are eight visions that tell about different aspects of who Jesus is. Then there's four sermon, there's four sermons in seven and eight. The eight visions are one through six. The four sermons are in seven and eight, and there are repentance of double-mindedness and duplicity, repentance of disobedience, 
then repentance brings restoration and repentance brings rejoicing. And those are seven and eight. Then from nine to 14, he has two burdens. And then the, and the first burden is, he talks about the first burden is the rejection of the Messiah the first time. It is for the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his first coming. The end of the book is the, re the reign of the Messiah. It's his second coming. When Jesus came in the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Jews rejected him just like they had for 70 years in the captivity. But when he comes the second time, no one will reject him as he wraps up human history because he will come and he, he will, all every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we're going to look at a couple of visions that give it us a picture of who Jesus is. And I did. Guess what I got? I got a little occluder from the doctor's office. Look. Because God says to him, can you see? And he says, can you see? Can you see? Because we can't see. And we don't know all the goodness that God has provided for us. And we miss him. And we miss all the sweetness of God himself living with us and indwelling in us. So for the visions, he said, can you see? Can you see? And it reminds me of when Susanna, our youngest daughter, was on her honeymoon. And some of you have heard this story before, but I still love this story. She was on her honeymoon. And so she married Josh. They were both students. She was in college. He was in grad school. They didn't have much money. But Josh's daddy had, and mama had provided for Josh and Susanna for their honeymoon. So they went to South Florida and they provided a beautiful, beautiful hotel down there, five-star hotel for them for their honeymoon. So they flew out after their wedding in Kentucky and went down to, to Florida. Well, they got there and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And they had a week to enjoy it. But when they got there, there was just one problem. They were hungry. It was so expensive that a bottle of water was $5 and a Coke was eight. So they went and they got, it, it was a gorgeous hotel. So they went and got crackers and peanut butter and they found a little um, restaurant where they could get like, um, I don't know, and they brought it in, but they just didn't have any money. So they came to the end of their glorious time, but they were both hungry on their honeymoon. So they get ready to check out. And as they're checking out, the guy says, we're so glad we could have you. We hope everything went well. 
And then he looked and he said, I see on your tab, you have lots of credit. And they said, credit, how is that possible? Well, all your meals were provided and all your snacks were provided and all your drinks in your room were provided. And they said, well, could you refund that credit? And he said, oh, no, it has to stay in the hotel. But you can go have one glorious meal before you leave here. They didn't know what the father had provided. He provided all the meals. He had provided all the extras. He had provided way beyond anything they could ask, think, or hope, or imagine. And they didn't know what he had provided. And Zacharias starts this book and says, can you see? Can you see? I want to show you how good Jesus is so you don't miss Jesus. So the first one, if we'll start in verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, this is about two or three months later in 20 and 519, the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. And God again establishes the identity of Zechariah with his, fam his father's family, just like he's trying to do it and to establish our identity with our heavenly father's family. And he said, I saw by night and behold a man riding on a red horse and he stood among the myrtle trees. Kim, could you put up that picture of the man among the myrtle trees? And I saw, and he stood there. And I said, my Lord, what is this? And the angel who talked with me said, I will show you what they are. And the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are the ones who the Lord has sent throughout the earth. So they answered the angel who stood among the myrtle trees. We have walked to and fro throughout the earth and it is resting quietly. And what we get in a picture here is we get a picture of the second person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ himself, the incarnate son of God, who is coming to say, I am coming. And then he's saying, I have control. And he sends out the other horsemen to go throughout the empire and throughout the world to say, ultimately, the one that is in control of human history and the destiny of men and nations is Jesus. It's Jesus. And he said, if you will read, and he said, I'm in control. And it looks like the Persians are in control. It looks like others are in control. And the enemies of the, of the gospel are in control, but they're not. I am in control. And the angel said to him, and he had a question, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah with which you were so angry for 70 years? And if you will notice at the top of the picture, there's Jerusalem. And you'll notice there are no walls around Jerusalem. And he said, why, you've been angry for 70 years. And God said, that's why I'm having Zechariah write this book and see these visions and proclaim the truth to you. Because he said, I, I 
I am in control and I am pro nobis. I am for you. Do you know how the early Christians would meet each other? They would say, pro nobis. God's for you. And that's how you knew who was a Christian, pro nobis. And he's answered and said, and he said, so the Lord answered the angel who talked with me in verse 13. And the angel said, proclaim saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great seal. And I am angry with the nations at ease. They help, but with evil intent. God is a God of righteousness, and ultimately God will bring justice to reign upon the earth. And he says, I'm pro-nobis, and I'm for you. And then he says, I, and he blesses. And then he says in verse 16, I'm returning to Jerusalem with mercy. I'm coming back. I am returning to Jerusalem. I don't want to stay away. I've been gone for 70 years. I would like to return to Jerusalem. And I'm returning with mercy. And the Hebrew word there is rakem. And it's, uh, the, it is the word that is used for the, uh, the womb that cradles and cherishes an unborn baby and the body of his or her mother. And all the needs and provision for that baby are met in the womb and in the life of the mother pouring into that baby's life that that baby might survive, that baby might thrive, that baby might live, and that baby might grow. And God says, I am pro nobis. I am for you. I am returning. The king is coming. And who is this king? He is the Lord of hosts. He is coming and my house and I'm coming with mercy. And when I come, my house will be rebuilt. Now, the physical temple was rebuilt in four or five in four years. So in 2015, they had rebuilt the physical temple. But Zechariah is also talking to you and me today. Because the people of God, God wants to rebuild the people of God and he wants to come and he wants to return to our nations and our states and our families. He wants to come and restore and he wants to rebuild. And he said, just as a, a, a surveyor's line is stretched out over Jerusalem, I am coming. And then he says, this, when I come, in verse 17, my cities will overflow with good. Oh, ladies, how far we have come from that. That our cities today overflow with carnage, chaos, confusion, and violence. It's because we've rejected God. And God says, when I come, my cities will spread out through and overflow will good. And God will comfort Zion. And he will again choose Jerusalem. Thank you, Kim. Suchi, 
Jesus is saying, any of you need comfort from Jesus tonight? Do you need him to come? Do you need him to whisper to your heart, I'm pro-nobis, I'm for you? (laughs) And the enemy wants to lie and say, oh, no, he's not. And God says, oh, yes, I am. I remember when I was 18 years old. And I was a freshman at Asbury College. And um, and I knew Jesus. I had met Jesus as a child, and I had been filled with the Spirit when I was a young middle schooler. And um, but I was 18. I was going to college. And so one night I was doing psych, and I lived at home. And um, so I was doing psych in the dining room. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there. It was just as real, or maybe to me it was, like it was to Zechariah, was Jesus was there. And he said, Bethy, I, and it was just Jesus and me and psychology. My books were spread out. I was studying. He said, Bethy, he said, I'm noticing there's a little hesitation in you about trusting me with your college career. Whoa. One thing about Jesus, he's very truthful. And he nailed it. And he nailed me. Because I was having doubts about the goodness of God in my life. And I said, well, Jesus, you're right. You're right, because I'm not quite sure what you're going to do with me or what the future will be or who I'll marry or what I'll do. And I just don't, you've raised me. You've done a good job this far, God, but I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm just not quite sure. Ever been there? And Jesus in his love said to me similarly what he said to Zechariah, would you stay with me and not walk away from me? And would you trust me with your ordinary life even in a new beginning? And would you trust me with the future? Immediately, Slewfoot showed up and said, oh, no, 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 don't. You don't like the little lizard from C.S. Lewis. You don't want to trust him. He's not trustworthy. And God said, uh, and he said, you'll never get married, and you'll always look funny. And you'll dress funny. Well, I didn't want to get married, and I didn't want to dress funny. So Jesus said, do you know what? Have I ever even embarrassed you in high school or middle school? He said, no, sir. He said, trust me, dare me to do something with your ordinary life. And I found myself spinning around on my knees and God came. He said, I'm pro-novice. He said, 
I want to come and I want to go with you through college so you don't make mistakes. I want to rebuild in your life all the purposes, God, for which I created you, even you. And then he said, I want to overflow goodness out of your life. The question is, will you let me? And it was funny, it wasn't a church service. It wasn't a conference. I was in the dining room studying psych and Jesus came. I've been praying that for my next generations and the ones we carry in our heart. That all of a sudden they'll be here and all of a sudden there will be one talking needs of communicating God and if every one of us is honest on this call he has spoken to every one of us and we have known times we have said yes Jesus and times we have said wait not quite yet I'll do it my way and there are always negative consequences but then he goes to the second vision aha he says, can you see this? <laughs> In the second vision, I raised my eyes and I looked. And there were four yeah, horns. Done that. that mutes me. It doesn't mute her. And there were four horns. And I said, what are these? And he said, these are the forces like the horns of the bull, the demonic forces that are seeking to destroy the purposes of God for the people of God in Israel. He said that there, these are the demonic forces. And what had these forces done, these horns? They'd scattered Israel, Judah, and, and Jerusalem. And then it seems like it's a hopeless situation. There's no hope. But then Jesus comes. And Jesus is the God, not only he's pronobus and forest, he's the God of restoration and he's the God of revival. And Jesus comes and he shows him the, and four craftsmen or carpenters show up. And, and Zechariah said, what are these coming to do? And Jesus is the carpenter who comes to restore and to transform and to push back the power of hell in your life and in my life and in the life of those we love. Jesus is able to break the power of darkness and Jesus alone is able to do that. And the Lord showed me the four craftsmen and they came and then he showed me the, the horns the powers of darkness that had scattered Judah. And they had scattered Judah so totally that the people of God couldn't even lift up their heads. But when Jesus came, he terrified the, the evil one. He scattered the evil one and he, and he um, cast out the evil one. The power of God to terrify, cast out, and destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Jesus Christ came. The reason Jesus Christ came, it was to destroy the works of the devil. And he can do it in your life. He can do it in my life. He can do it in our family's lives. He can do it in our church's life. 
And ladies, he can even do it in our nation and in the nations of the world if we will repent and turn back to him and say, Jesus, you alone are worthy and you alone are God. So that's the second vision. Now we come to the third vision. And I and Kim, could you put up the third vision? Which is the um, wall of fire. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? And he said, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is in its width and what is in its length. And there was the angel who talked with me coming out, and another angel going out to meet him. Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as a town without walls because of the multitude of people. For I, says the Lord of hosts, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory within. Thank you, Kim. You get here a picture of the wall of fire that God the personal protection that God gives us from his personal presence so that God can be a wall of fire around every single one of us on this phone call. And then he can be the glory within so that you can see and you can see. Um, and uh, Kim, just a sec, I want to do, I want to do my measuring. <laughs> so what he does, he says to the man, he lifts up his eyes so he can see the next vision. Then he says, so Zechariah goes, what's that man doing? And he has a measuring tape. And he's going to measure Jerusalem. And the angel said, run after that man. He said, there are no walls big enough for the kingdom of God that's coming. The kingdom of God that's coming here and in the eons of time, there are no walls big enough. So he said, tell him to stop measuring Jerusalem because who's going to be the wall of fire? I am the Lord of hosts. Jesus himself is the Lord of a uh, wall of fire, the wall of fire around you and me and around everyone we love. He's a wall of fire and the glory within. And then look at verse six. He says, there's hope for us and it's not in walls. And this was radical to say to Zechariah, because the only hope for an, uh, you had to have walls back then. And he says, wait a minute, I am bigger than all other forces. I am the one that is the wall of fire around in the glory within. And then he goes, said, uh, flee from the land of the north. And six is another invitation for those who are still in Babylon who had not left with the 50,000 to come back to, to Jude, Judah and Jerusalem when God opened up the, people, the land for the people of God. They were still in captivity. And God is saying, wait a minute, there's strength and power in the name of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in the person of Jesus to set you free, free from the land of Babylon. You, I've spread you out through the, like the four winds throughout the nation, the world, but escape those who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. 
There's no excuse for any of us not to have the victory of Jesus in our life because the power, our power is given in the name of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, so it's a second invitation, not only to the ones that were in Jerusalem, but the ones that were still in Babylon who hadn't had the courage to leave the enemy's territory. Is there anybody here tonight who's like that? He said, I'd like to follow Jesus, but I just never gotten courage. I don't think it worked for me. It's not a thing. It's the person of Jesus who can indwell your heart and fill you with this Holy Spirit and set you and me free. So he says, then this I love. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. See the battle language, the Lord of hosts. When the nations come to plunder you, guess what? The Lord of hosts comes and he says to the nations and to the enemies, he who plunders you plunders the apple of my eye. Ladies, do you know what I did? I went and I got apples for all my kids and grandkids. And I put them in a bowl. And I said, Jesus, as in I put the verse, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Because that's a promise we can stand on. So that you can put your family in a bowl on your kitchen table and give them through those apples. <laughs> and just say, God, this is my visual aid to help me remember that he who touches me and who you touches those I love and he who touches that my spiritual children and grandchildren and ones I carry in my soul, he who touches them touches the apple of my eye. And it's the sweetest thing. When we had the joy of having Tammy and Tim Hughes come to visit us from Wyoming. And, and Laura had just sent me a picture of the wall of fire within and the glory. Oh, excuse me, I'm trying to get this. She had just sent this picture. And as we, I had put it up in, in my kitchen. And as we stood there, it was so cute. Tammy and I put the names of our kids. We said, oh, that's Al and Beth and Tammy and Tim. And we put all our kids and our families in the fruit to remember, to remember that God is saying, I am able to protect you. I am able to care for you. And I am able to care for not only you, but the next generation for everyone that's on your heart. He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Isn't that sweet news? Isn't that good news? He's pro-novus. <laughs> He's pro-novus. Then it's even, and then he says, if the enemy comes against you, in verse nine, I will shake my hand against them and the enemy will become spoiled for the ones that the enemy has captured. 
so that the enemy will be brought down maybe the very people that he has that he has tried to capture that God has set free then you will know once again who sent me the Lord of hosts the king of kings and lord of lords his name is Jesus and then it even gets it gets sweeter he says this is so exciting, and I've just done three visions so far. This is so exciting. I think we need to have a concert. Well, then what touched me so much, he didn't say, let's call in the Vienna Boys Choir or the London Philharmonic or the New York Philharmonic. Who did he say? You and me. Sing, O daughters of Jews. Sing and rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Us, we're the singers. He said, this is such good news. I want to come. Don't be hungry on your honeymoon. Take advantage of all the purposes of God for your life. Don't live below the privileges that I died to give you, to live in me, to know me, to love me. That's the unfolding of the book of Zechariah how good he is, how wide he is, and how beautiful he is. And wherever Jesus comes, beauty and unity come. So he says, sing and rejoice, O daughters of Zion. Why? Behold, I am coming. What's your situation? He's coming. If you let him, if you'll invite him. And I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. And it's not just for us. It's not just for the Jews. It's for many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they will become my people. And I will dwell in your midst. Great missionary chapter verse right in the middle. Because God so loved. And if he doesn't have you, there's a lonesome place in the heart of God. If he doesn't have me, there's a lonesome place. Because there's a spot in the heart of God that no one else fills but you. No one else fills speaking. Many nations will be joined in that day. And I will dwell in your midst. And you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy land and will get again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh before him. He is aroused from his holy habitation. And this is the beginning of the great exchange his holy habitation and the second person of the Trinity coming to dwell in you and me, if we'll let him. Oh, glorious gospel. And this is just the beginning of the book. And I'm gonna, I'd like to close with this story.
I was, I was, my daddy, where we lived in Loudonville, New York, and I went to a girls' school, St. Agnes. And then my dad decided to go to grad school at Brandeis University in Massachusetts. So mid-year, I found myself as a, fre as a freshman at a public school in Framingham, Massachusetts. And um, it was a big move. I can't, I don't quite know how the Jews felt when they arrived in Jerusalem after being gone for 70 years and not ever knowing anything about the promised land because their fathers had been there, but they hadn't. There I was in an, and so I had gone from a school of 350 girls from kindergarten through senior 12th grade to a high school of ninth grade through 12th with 3,000. So it's a big adjustment. Well, my dad took me to enroll me the first day in the school, Framingham High School. And it was on split sessions because it was so jammed. So my classes were in the afternoon. I would go at one and I would get out at 5.30. So dad got me all enrolled and stuff. And then he said, now honey, do you think you can walk home? Well, of course I was a very sophisticated 15 year old and I wasn't gonna tell my dad I could not, well, I didn't know how to walk home. And I go, sure, sure, sure. Sure, I can do that. I can do that. But when I got out of class at 5.30, didn't know the person, anybody, I had no way, I had no idea whether to go to the right or to the left, to the north or to the south. I was, and it was twilight. It was dark, getting dark. So I just started walking and I walked and I walked. And there were no cell phones, of course. There were no anything, you just, so I just walked. After a while, everything got more and more confusing. It got darker and darker. And I just thought, I don't know what to do. Ever been there? I don't know how to go forward. I feel lost. In fact, I am lost. So I sat down on the curb in a residential area. And I prayed. And I said, Jesus, could you get me home? <laughs> and I just was too tired to wiggle. I just sat there. And in a few minutes, this car came down the street and went on by me. And then all of a sudden, the car backed up. And then the driver got out and I heard a voice. It was Bethy, Bethy, Bethy. And it was my dad. 
he had gone on a wrong street, taking a home, friend home from classes at Brandeis. And on that street, there I sat. And it was the inner correlation of a heavenly father with an earthly father, just like you see in Zechariah. Zechariah, the son, the Lord remembers, the son of the Lord blesses, the son of, at this time, advance. And it was the end, beautiful picture, as I've been thinking about Zechariah, of when you and I cry out, Jesus, I'm lost. I don't know how to face cancer. I don't know how to face COVID. I don't know how to face kids that don't know Jesus. I don't know how to face more month than money. I don't know how to face teenagers. I don't know what it is, but Jesus says, Oh, just cry out and call out and I will move heaven and earth to meet the needs of your heart and your situation just as tenderly as he met a little subdued, formerly cocky 15-year-old like, oh, I've got this under control. Because the reality is, ladies, we don't. That's why he died. We need Jesus. And we need to know the sweet intimacy of that fellowship with him. So just like as a baby in the rock cannon, the baby in the womb draws her life or his life from the life of a mama. So we can draw our life from the life of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to come today and meet you. But he never forces his way. He just says, would you like to return to me? I'm available. And I'm, and I'm inviting you to come. Every need in your heart, I can meet. It can be met in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Holy Jesus. Holy Jesus. Oh, Jesus, tonight. We worship you. You alone are worthy. Come, Holy Spirit, and transform our lives so we live in you. In Jesus' name. And we know the beauty of you. Amen.